Hi everyone, um, thanks for tuning in again today. So today with me I have Dr. Christoph Bergmeier. Uh, he's an academic at Monash University within the IT faculty. He currently has a project, an arena project working on forecasting, which will help with the energy markets. That's probably not a very good introduction. Uh, so if Christoph, if you would like to tell us a bit more about yourself and kind of elaborate more about what I just mentioned. Sure, that's fine. No, and actually uh, I do have an IRC project because I'm a DECRA fellow. So basically I'm currently focusing on three years only research, uh, no teaching, and that's ARC funded. And that research is in time series forecasting. Yeah, so forecasting is pretty much everything I do <laughs> the whole day. And well, uh, kind of a, a bit of background about myself. Yeah, so I did the, my PhD in University of Granada in Spain um, in forecasting. That's about, well, over 10 years ago. So I spent the last 10 years in doing forecasting. Before that, I actually, so I'm originally from Germany. So I did my undergrad in Germany. Then I went to Spain for the PhD. Uh, there I, I, yeah, I did forecasting. And then actually during the PhD, I could do a research stay uh, here in Monash because in Monash actually there are some uh, renowned academics in forecasting. And that's how I, how I came to Monash first on a three months, uh, research day. I didn't know anything about Monash. I didn't know anything about Australia. I, I just came here. Uh, yeah. And then afterwards, I, uh, I actually went back to, to Spain for a postdoc, but then I, I got a job in the faculty of IT. And that was, I think, six years ago. And, and since then, I'm just in the faculty of IT. So at first as a postdoc, uh, then as a lecturer, and currently as a senior research fellow on this three years uh, fellowship. Okay, awesome, thank you. So you mentioned a bit that you did your PhD project on forecasting. Could you kind of tell everyone else a little bit more about forecasting? I guess when someone says forecasting, the first thing that comes to mind is um, weather forecasting, but I don't think that's exactly what you work on. So did you want to elaborate a bit more on forecasting and then how that kind of led to you working in energy? Yes, definitely. So yeah, exactly true. So when I say I work on forecasting, people usually say one of two things. Either they say, oh, so you is it like weather forecasting? Or the people say, oh, so you do stock market forecasting and we are all going to be rich in no time, right? And that's actually exactly the two fields that I don't really work on, right? And for, for, for two very different reasons. So weather forecasting is, it is actually a very a good field for forecasting. But in weather forecasting, we have a lot of expert knowledge, right? So we have methodologists that develop these complex models of, of how the atmosphere and the, the weather works. And then uh, they use that for the forecasting. And in stock market forecasting, it's, it's a bit the other way around, right? So on the one hand, we have kind of no idea what's happening there. So it's just kind of too complex of a process because it depends so much on on people, on individuals, and on their decisions, and on what they think the future will be. But, but there, it's, it's so difficult that it's maybe a bit too difficult to tackle, right? So, or, well, and, and also there are good, you know, I mean, a, a stock price, usually due to the efficient market hypothesis, shouldn't be really predictable at all in a meaningful way. So basically, it's kind of two extremes, right? On the one hand, something that we really understand very, very well. 
So we have specialized people that work on it. And on the other hand, something that we would really like to forecast, but I doubt anybody can really forecast it properly. And I work on pretty much everything in between. So basically things where, where we don't have vast expert knowledge to really come up with a, with a model that kind of models all of these dynamics. But on the other hand, things where, where not actively the structure is kind of is actively changed by the participants, right? Something like uh, electricity prices or electricity production or sales or things like that, where you still, you know, where you have seasonal patterns where you can say, well, the sales on in Christmas will be higher than the sales on a normal day and things like that. So you have things that you can forecast, uh, but you just don't have like these um, highly specialized people that for that area. So do you, I guess, do you find like working in an area with not a lot of expertise that gives you a lot of liberties to be able to kind of figure out where certain things can be developed and uh, I guess where more positives can be achieved? Because I guess it's kind of very much like a blank slate in that respect. Yes, well, I, I guess uh, what this kind of lack of expert knowledge usually does is that machine learning models work quite well, right? Like more generic models work quite well. So I think, yeah, and more black box models work quite well. So that's why I think that's a, a good area to work on. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Since you're now kind of adapting the forecasting for energy aspects, do you find that having a background where you didn't explicitly work in energy has kind of helped you to understand the field a bit better because you can look at it, look at it from a kind of different kind of perspective? Yeah, sure, exactly. So, so my background is more in forecasting, right? And energy is, is one like quite important application for me, but not the only application. So when we go to, let's say, and in energy, you can predict many different things, right? You can predict uh, the electricity price, the electricity demand, the renewable energy production, and then even more difficult things like, you know, how will the demand change with uptake of electric vehicles and things like that and so obviously I, I mean I, for, for me I I always well look at it through this well data lens or yeah kind of data analysis lens right so obviously I guess for me the problems are, are much more around you know I, I look at the let's say daily or, or hourly demand of, of a household and then I, I try to predict that so I'm not I, I don't usually know what are all these, you know, energy things that <laughs> that uh, lie underneath. But it's for, at, at least for for these uh, predictions, uh, you don't need that. And it turns out that because it actually turns out that that very often uh, predicting something very well is not the same problem of understanding something very well, right? And that's yeah. kind of also something what characterizes the field of machine learning as a whole in machine learning we are uh, usually very uh, interested in in predictive accuracy so we want models that can predict something very very well but these models uh, do not necessarily explain anything about about uh, the underlying uh, system whereas statistics traditionally goes a bit more the other way they more try to to analyze a system and then usually uh, the assumption is that if you understand something very, very well, you can also predict it very, very well. But it turns out that that's usually not the case. Yeah. 
Okay, <laughs> that's some interesting points there. So was there anything in particular that kind of drew you to working in energy as a, I guess, application of your forecasting? Or was it more like uh, you saw it as a area that could benefit from your forecasting models and that's why you kind of directed yeah. some research towards it? Yes, definitely. I think a couple of reasons. So, so one reason is that usually when you have a, a quite generally applicable methodology like, like forecasting, then what you will very often see is that even though it could be applied in many, many fields, some fields have a more pressing need than others, or some are more enthusiastic about it than others. So forecasting, you can use it for many things, but the areas where, where people get really excited about forecasting is in energy and in retail and supply chain forecasting. So that's actually the two areas where where people are willing to give me money to do forecasting or, or you know, where you can get uh, also funding from funders and so on. So, so I think that's why these two areas are, are really good areas. And, and the other thing is that obviously energy, it's a really good area as well because, yeah, I, I think because it just addresses some, some really important problems that we are facing at the moment as you know as humanity as a whole so it's about well i mean obviously you know tackling climate change so you have new renewable energy in in the grid and and now that's less predictable uh, how much energy that's going to produce so you need good forecasts so i think it's definitely a, a, a very appealing use case to me, because you obviously you you have the feeling that you really create value and do something good that really many people will benefit from, you know, beyond pure profits. Okay, well, that's good to hear. At least there's being money directed towards forecasting for energy applications. It is kind of a very big and growing industry that kind of needs a lot of development and a lot of thought um, being put into it. So I guess at the beginning, we, we kind of mentioned that you had an arena project. I believe that project is called Application of Advanced Short-Term Power Generation Forecasting. Can you tell us a bit more about this project and the motivations and goals behind this project? Yes, definitely. So this project, yeah, so it was funded by the Australian Renewable Energy uh, Agency. So the problem we are addressing is the following. So the energy market, it, it operates on five-minute intervals, right? And so basically each uh, generator, and well, we are talking about wind farms and solar farms, they have to basically uh, provide a, a forecast how much energy they're going to produce in five minutes time. And now what, what happens if that, if, because one thing that can happen is uh, the, the grid can obviously get unstable if there is way more energy produced than is needed or way less energy produced than is needed. And so basically uh, if that, if, if there is this kind of, problem that the grid might become unstable, then what the market operator does is it, uh, it pays certain market participants to produce at short notice, at short notice right? And these are called uh, the FCAS uh, payments. And basically the, the problem now is that these payments, uh, the market operator kind of gets this money back from the market participants, right? So uh, from, from the market participants that are assumed to have caused these instabilities. And so now what basically happens is that if, so let's say it's a very sunny day 
lot of wind uh, as well, like all the solar farms, all the wind farms produce a lot of power, then that's probably more power than you, than you might uh, even need. Yeah, so, so you have a lot of power. So then basically the market operator tells these wind farms and solar farms that they actually have to produce less power than they could, right? And that actually happens quite often. So basically, uh, yeah, that a wind or solar farm is, uh, has to, to produce less power has to be limited. Now, one thing is that these uh, payments that they have to make towards the stability of the network. So basically uh, wind and solar farms, if they produce more power than what they said they are going to produce and they are charged quite heavily towards these uh, stabilization mechanisms, right? So, so for them, it's quite important to be able to know how much power they're going to produce in five minutes time because uh, yeah, because if that forecast is bad, uh, it leads to instability of the grid and eventually they get charged for this to correct this instability. And that's actually a quite considerable cost, right? So if, if you run a solar farm, a wind farm, first thing is you will have to, to, to switch off uh, quite some times. Uh, and, and then you will have to pay these correction factors. And the better you forecast, the less of these uh, payments you have to do. So basically by having a good forecasting system, the, the renewable energy uh, can be more competitive, right? And we can have more of it in the market. So I think it's a quite important system to have. And, and what's happening is that until quite recently, the market operator themselves were producing these forecasts. And now they, were ba they are basically allowing every wind farm or solar farm to produce these forecasts themselves. So there's now really a market for, for solutions that are developed to, to perform this kind of prediction. And, and we basically uh, teamed up with a company called Wally uh, in this project funded by Arena to, to develop such a solution to perform these predictions. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Well, that well I mean, it was a bit of, sorry, yeah, it was a bit of complex, but anyway. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, I think that's interesting that now instead of one market operator controlling these forecasting kind of mechanisms, it's now being able to be opened up to the different companies who actually supply power to actually um, do the forecasting themselves. And I guess that's the indication of how the renewable energy market is changing. It's not so vertical based anymore, but becoming a bit more horizontal industry. But do you find um, with different, I guess, uh, power suppliers, developing their own forecasting systems that this could potentially cause a clash if certain forecasting methodologies aren't I guess the same accuracy or operate on a different basis? Yeah uh, well that's a very good point so that's why the market operator continuously uh, monitors their accuracy and if they are not accurate enough the market operator switches them back to the market operator's forecast and basically we had to go through a trial to really prove that our system can consistently perform better than the market operator's forecast. A little bit of, I guess, competition between potentially the private sector and a little bit of the public sector to be able to have, I guess, the most beneficial accuracy in technology, I guess, in a not very connected way, but in a separated way. At the same time, does that, with the market operator, do they still have incentive to continue to develop their model so that 
a high accuracy can be attained or I guess is there more reliance on the private sector now to actually develop the most accurate means as possible? Yeah, exactly. I, I think now it's it's more uh, up to the private sector. So, I mean, the market operator obviously has a, I mean, they, so, so the market operator obviously is interested in, in having good forecasts. So they have their forecast and, and if your forecast is not good, they can switch you over, right? But, mm -hmm. but I think the real innovation uh, is now more up to the, to the individual uh, wind and solar farms. Yeah. Can there also be, I guess, a misalignment between the forecast where one person is like adamant that their one is right and then another person is like, well, your one is wrong, my one is right? Well, the good thing in forecasting is that, um, well, you just wait for five minutes and then you know, right? <laughs> True, yes. <laughs> uh, so, but, but obviously it's not that easy, right? So, because uh, it's, it's not so much up to just one five minute interval, but it's really more about, you know, on average, is your forecast better than the other one? Uh, so, of course, a, a bit of thought needs to go into how to evaluate these forecasts. But in forecasting, usually evaluation is relatively straightforward in, in the sense that you just wait until the event has happened and then you can easily evaluate. Uh, it's surprisingly often not done in many fields. Mm -hmm. well, going back to, you know, the stock forecasting predictions. I mean, a lot of predictions you hear on the news, like you, you don't hear anybody going back half a year and say half a year later and say, actually what I said half a year ago, was that true or not, right? You never mm -hmm. get this, but, but here in these energy related forecasts, yeah, no, they, they do get evaluated and, and you, it, it should be reasonably straightforward to know which one's better. Okay, is that, do you find that to be a benefit because it is, I guess, a shorter time frame compared to, let's say, the stock market? Well, sure, of course, time frames help. But, but yeah, no, I think in general, evaluating forecasts is not too difficult. So, I mean, sure, as you say, like if, if I now do a forecast for 20 years from now, nobody can prove me wrong until yes. in 20 years, right? But if you do a forecast for, let's say, what happens in five minutes, 10 minutes, or tomorrow, it's usually uh, easy to evaluate. Um, yeah. If people are more geared towards instant gratification, this is probably a good area to work with because you can kind of get the information that you're right a lot sooner than a lot of other different areas. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you mentioned before that in terms of forecasting, you were also working in um, developing models for the retail sector. So how do you find that the science of forecasting is translatable between different areas and different sectors? Is the work that is being applied in one sector be able to be applied in a different sector? Or do you find that developments in one sector are able to assist and boost, for example, the developments in the energy sector as well? Yeah, it's definitely transferable from one sector to the other, because in the end, for us, it's all numbers, it's all data. But obviously, there are some differences, right? But the differences for me would be more around, you know, what's the granularity? So in retail, you usually look at daily sales. Whereas in energy, often you look at five-minutely, half-hourly type of signals. And then also the forecast horizons can be different. I, I mean, as I said, uh, in energy, maybe we look at five-minute ahead forecasts. But you also have their uh, longer horizons with, uh, yeah, longer forecasting horizons, like next day or in, 
in a month or so. And in retail, usually, yeah, your horizon would be one month, maybe even a year, things like that. So the horizon changes a bit. And then what, what that does is that the patterns change a bit, right? Because in forecasting, what we always try to do is we, well, you, you kind of try to, to separate the signal from the noise. Uh, and the signal could be, for example, repeating patterns, right? Something like seasonality, something like uh, you have a half hourly series of energy demand. Uh, so you would see daily patterns, things like people get up in the morning, they use more energy in the morning, they go to work, they use less energy, they come home, uh, they use more energy again. Uh, then you have a weekly pattern that a Saturday and a Sunday looks different from during the week. And uh, you would have a yearly pattern that like in summer, uh, people use more ACs, so they have like higher consumption. So you have all these different patterns. Uh, and now obviously like due to COVID, all of these patterns look totally different because people don't go to work anymore uh, or many people uh, don't go to work anymore. And so, so these patterns obviously also change throughout time. But that's exactly what we try to model in the forecasting, right? So we try to, to model the patterns and then we also try to model uh, how are they going to likely change into the future. Yeah, and, and that's the approach we, we do across the sectors, right? So in, 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 let's say, retail, you would also look for these weekly patterns, yearly patterns. You know, the, these patterns, they could be quite complex. For example, in retail, you could have patterns that are something like, for example, when, when do people buy, buy sunscreen, right? So people buy sunscreen usually uh, on the first day of summer, when it's really hot or, or really sunny, right? So that's where you probably get some sort of uh, spike in the sunscreen sales. So if a, a week later it's hot again or sunny again, you don't now already has bought their sun. Now everybody has bought their sunscreen, so you don't get the same amount of sales anymore. So it's really kind of you know a quite complicated pattern in in, in this sense. Yeah, and similar obviously, well, school holidays. Uh, back to school, you know, when people buy or also in retail, very often you have things like marketing campaigns that sales are quite tied to certain marketing campaigns. So, so the patterns might be a bit different, uh, but, but the underlying methodology that we use, uh, it's relatively similar. And yeah, for us, it's all just data and then looking for patterns in the data. Two questions there. Do you find that external partners like industry are able to see that there is some similarity so that they can collaborate on developing the same basis for forecasting or forecasting model? Or do you find one method you develop for retail can be quickly adapted to like the energy industry? Yeah, good question. I, I think this is really the role that maybe also academia has, right? So basically, uh, Researchers, they try to come up with quite a general methodology and then industry, they really kind of try to apply it to their problem, right? So I don't think there's a lot of kind of direct interaction between uh, forecasters in retail, forecasters in energy, but obviously there's a lot, they, they would probably, you know, read the same research papers. Yeah, maybe talk to the same researchers. So it's probably more around that. So I guess you've been 
working in forecasting for some time now. And you mentioned before that forecasting in energy is a great area to work with because there is a substantial amount of funding for that area. What impacts are you seeing forecasting as well as data science and I guess machine learning and AI making in terms of the energy industry? And are you actually seeing, I guess, the energy industry having a greater uptake of this particular technology? Well, I, I guess like data science, AI, it's it's transforming many industries, right? And, and many industries, or maybe even nearly all industries are kind of thinking about what does it mean for them? And they are hiring data scientists. And, and in that sense, energy is no different to other industries. And, and then I think it's really, uh, depends a bit on, on the level of adoption, right? So, so on, on the one hand, you have obviously quite, let's say, clear-cut solutions like this uh, forecasting solution I talked about, right? That's something you really kind of package into a box and it's a product and, 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 and it's quite clear-cut. But on the other hand, obviously, data science, it's also it, it can also go really much more towards, let's say, more evidence-based ways of management and, and that you really, you know, like this type of data-driven enterprises where, where you really have, let's say, the, you, you know, the big tech companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, that do things in a certain way because they obviously, I mean, from day one, they have been data at their center in one way or the other. Uh, and, and now many uh, companies, I mean, especially in retail, obviously, the companies have a lot of pressure to compete with, let's say, Amazon or other companies in that space. So in, in energy, I'm not sure. It, maybe the pressure that companies feel is a bit different, but nonetheless, obviously, they, they will all uh, think about how to, how to transform more towards more data evidence-based decision-making. I guess, what kind of opportunities do you see for as people who are more interested in coding, in forecasting and in modeling, kind of not only taking, but pursue in, I guess, the energy industry? Do you think there is increasing growth in this particular area for people to kind of pursue? Yeah, again, I mean, as I said, I think energy is no different to, to other industries. So a lot of industries really kind of start having their own in-house data science capabilities and so on. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Maybe the, the difference in energy is that energy is obviously a sector. It's, it's engineering, right? And the good thing about engineering is that people in engineering, often they have a lot of, or, or you know, usually they already have really like a technical background uh, solid math skills and so on. So for us, it's relatively easy to talk to them, right? And in other industries, that is maybe different. So I, I guess in, in energy, the question is maybe more, because as a data scientist, the question is always, well, you need somebody who is good at programming, good at math, and, and has a solid understanding of the domain they are working in. And then obviously, it's always, well, they're, they're, they're there aren't really any people that tick all of these boxes like equally well. So now the question is, well, um, so, so in the end, the question is very often, uh, do you hire like a data scientist and train them in your particular domain? 
or do you have somebody already in your domain, somebody that's maybe already working in your company and now you train them more toward up in data science, right? And in energy, it's probably easier for people to just uh, train up in data science just because they already have an engineering background. Yeah, I guess that's good to know, especially if you're interested in this area and that's where your kind of skills are, that there is potential. And then I guess you just have to find your certain niche and how it fits in. So that's all the questions I've got so far. I believe there is an article coming out that you recently worked on about some of your work. Did you want to elaborate a bit on more about that? Depending, I guess, when this recording comes out, listeners may be able to find out more. I mean, that's really just a press release around this arena funded project, which is more or less just kind of explaining what that project is about. Uh, that oh, I've okay. already explained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No worries. I, yeah, I couldn't quite remember if it was the Arena Project or the ARC. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today, Christoph. If anyone has any questions, please forward them to me and then I can then forward them to Christoph.